Good morning, church. Happy Father's Day. Uh, are you, you are happy to be a father, aren't you? I mean, okay. Some of you act like, well, okay. Uh, no, it's what a, what a great day it is. I uh, always uh, love Father's Day. Uh, I, you know, they set out food for you out here in the deal. And, uh, you know, it's not quite as decorated as Mother's Day, I noticed. But that's good because we're not looking for the decorations. The men, they're looking for the food, right? So you got it right there, uh, whoever was in charge of that. Uh, you know, uh, I appreciate so much my dad and uh, the way that we were raised uh, back home up in Arkansas. And so uh, even though he's already gone from this world, it, you know, it's it, it's easier to bury him uh, when they die when you've already buried him the time before, right? And so that's what makes it great for me. I look forward to being with my dad uh, uh, in heaven. I, uh, I I have a pocket knife I'm carrying today. It's an old-timer pocket knife. It wouldn't mean much to anybody else, but it's a knife my dad gave me. And so, you know, you have things that mean something to you, right? And so he gave that to me. And uh, and uh, matter of fact, I remember it, right? And he knew he was getting ready to die. And so we all gathered up around my family. We gathered up around his chair uh, and that the recliner he was in, and we, me and uh, Susan and Josh and Kristen, we gathered around and we we sang to him, and that was a special moment for me. And and you can always tell when a good Arkansas man's getting ready to die because he gives away his knives and his guns. Uh, and I mean, you got to be on your deathbed to give away your knife and gun where I come from, right? So uh, anyway, that's just wanted to acknowledge my dad and. This Father's Day, uh, uh, what a great blessing it is. And of course, most of all, our Father in Heaven. What a great blessing to be all together uh, in a church family with a great Father. I want to ask our scripture reader to come up. Come on up here, young man. Stand right over here. Now, first first of all, what what is your name? My name is Isaac Lee. Isaac Lee. Isaac Lee, who's your favorite baseball team? The Chicago Cubs. This is how I know Christianity is true. <laughs> because you you can have a Cardinal fan, which I am, and a Cub fan in the same church family and get along. All right, would you read our scripture for us today, please? When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of. Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the Lord gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Thank you. Great job. Excellent job. Excellent job. Uh, I told Jace uh, earlier today that, uh, and actually as, as I listened to his lesson last week, I think I sent him a text too, which what a great job Jace you did. It was excellent on Romans 5. Man, it's, that thing's packed full of good stuff. And uh, uh, when he talked about bigger grace, you know, and, and the good news that comes uh, from that, uh, what God's done for us through Jesus out of that chapter, 
uh, I couldn't help but uh, think about a couple of phrases out of there that I wanted to uh, kind of repeat out of the text to kind of set us up for this morning a little bit as we dig into chapter 6. Uh, uh, a couple of phrases out of chapter 5. Uh, well, first one comes out of verse 9. Since we have been justified by his blood, here's the words, how much more? Say that with me. How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. Here we go again. How much more? One more time. How much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? Now down into verse 20 of chapter 5. The law was added so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Say that with me. All the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign or rule through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So... If God loved us when we were enemies and didn't care about him and he sent Jesus to die for us, how much more? Think about that for a minute. And if in our sin we can see how sin increased because of the law, and then all of a sudden we recognize what God's done through the gospel, and grace increases all the more. God, all the more, more than enough for whatever sin is there. Grace is far more than enough to take care of our sin problem. That's good news. That's good news of the gospel and God's grace. Uh, matter of fact, I saw uh, 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 Derek in, over there in the other service. Uh, Derek, uh, stand up and show your audience over there what shirt you got on. Go ahead. I'm watching him right here. Stand up, Derek. He's got a shirt that says, Saved by Grace. Saved by Grace. And that's why we all proclaim. And not only that, it's an increasing grace. And so Paul makes this argument now, uh, anticipates people making this argument. Well, if that's true, if we could ask all that grace, then look, the, the more I sin, the more grace I get. Let, let's just get after it and get more grace. Now, everybody knows that's ridiculous. But Paul anticipates this argument. Now, in chapter 6, in the first part of chapter 7, we're going to see three things or three illustrations given why you can't take uh, grace and abuse it. One is he's going to illustrate it with your conversion, your baptism. The second is going to illustrate it with slavery. We're going to talk about slavery a little bit today. And then third, he's going to illustrate it with marriage and death. So, just let me plant a little seed in your mind. How serious is it when a spouse dies? How heavy is that? He's going to use this marriage death thing as an illustration. That that breaks that bond. How serious and heavy is slavery? Got it? Now, if he's using those two serious things, how serious do you think and heavy do you take the doctrine of baptism? Now, just think about that for a minute. Just let that one kind of stick in your home box, okay? Because these are the three things that carry weight that say, I'm not going to abuse the grace of God. I'm going to live in the freedom that God's given me 
but I'm not going to produce this habit of sin in my life any longer. Why? Because of how much more? My motivation for living holy is going to be the grace of God. Not even the judgment of God. It's going to be the grace of God that becomes my motivation more than anything else. Well, let's just uh, dig through this a little bit. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. We die to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Baptism, when you, when you are baptized into Christ, when you go out down to that water, you're buried. By the way, baptism was always immersion. It was dipping. It was uh, in, into water. And when that happened and you, by, depending upon the grace of God, are proclaiming the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, this is what happens. That you're saying, I'm getting rid of that old man. And I want to live a totally new way and have a new life. He says, if we've been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly be united with him in his resurrection. So in baptism, you're going to see the Trinity, Baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 20? You're going to see unity. You're going to see ministry. You're going to see community. All happening right there in a person's conversion. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Free. I love the word freedom. I watched, I rewatched a uh, thing on the, oh, I don't know what channel it was. Some, some channel that most people don't watch. Uh, but they were showing uh, some things about the days of Reagan. And they showed when uh, President Reagan got up and made the speech where he tells Gorbachev, you remember the words, right? Tear down this wall. I have a piece of that wall in my office. And I was raised in the time where my, my dad served in World War II. And, and uh, I remember all the things about the Cold War and the wall and the division. And I remember seeing stories and hearing stories and seeing movies about people trying to escape and jumping the fence and going over the wall for freedom. Freedom. You have been freed. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that he will also live with him. For we, here's another word, right a circle. No. We know this. We know this. See, the first part he says, remember your baptism. Now he says, know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he lived, he, uh, uh, he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count. Now, this word count comes from a math term. means calculate or consider. Look at this thing. Calculate it. Consider it. 
yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign, rule, have mastery. That's the idea in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer your parts of the body to sin as instruments of wickedness. This word instrument a lot of times was used in referring to items of war, weapons of war. Instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God for those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to Him as instruments of righteousness. For sin should not be your master because you are not under law, but under what? Grace. You are under grace. Say, Mike, I don't feel like I'm under grace. This is the struggle with freedom. You see, Satan would love to do anything he can to make you think you're not under grace. But remember, what's been put to death is that law of sin and death, that law that says, every time I sin, I die. He says later on in Romans that we're not under that anymore. That we're under the law of the Spirit of life in Christ. We're under that law, law of grace. That means every time I sin, I don't die. Now, this doesn't give us a license to sin, but it does give us the desire to minimize sin in our life. You see, before I was a Christian, I had no ability to control the sin in my life. Oh, I I might can make some minimal steps, but really sin reigned. It ruled over me. It was the king. It made all the decisions in my life. And developed some bad habits in my life out of that time. So when I become a Christian, those don't automatically go away. Even though I'm baptized into Christ. I'm, but I am freed from the fact that it doesn't have to master me anymore. I can now say no. And God supplies the power for me to say no. Because the sin no longer has that power over me to master my life. Jesus masters my life. His grace how much more? So grace will increase. His grace takes care of my sin, even as I serve my God. And that's freedom. That's freedom. Now, the next illustration he uses, we're going to come back to the first of this at the end of the lesson, but the next illustration he uses is slavery. I've never seen a human being sold standing on the auction auction block. I've never seen that. I've read the stories. I've seen the dramatics in a movie. I've read the history. I've never physically seen that. You haven't either. I've never experienced what that must be like. To be bought and enslaved to another human being. Never experienced that. I'm proud that our president acknowledged Juneteenth as a national holiday.
I just feel like there should have been an amen in there somewhere. The freedom of human beings celebrating our country that says from the time of the Emancipation of Proclamation in 1863, January 1, it took two years to get to 1865, where in Texas... On June 19th, there was that effort to celebrate that freedom that is just now sometimes reaching people's ears. Which, by the way, some, some held back the news till after the harvest. And then finally, the rest of our political body got on board in December of that year and came up with the 13th Amendment that abolished slavery in this nation, and it was the right thing to do. Slavery. Abraham Lincoln went to a slave market, and there a young, beautiful African-American woman was being auctioned off to the highest bidder. He bid on her and he won. I wonder what some people would say about Lincoln buying a slave. People speak a lot of times before they know the rest of the story, don't they? He could see the anger in the young woman's eyes and could imagine what she was thinking. Another white man will buy me, use me, and discard me. Lincoln walked off with his property. He turned to the woman and said, You're free. Yeah, what what does that mean? She replied, it means that you're free. Does it mean I can say whatever I want to say? Yes, replied Lincoln, smiling. It means you can say whatever you want to say. Does it mean, she asked, that I can be whatever I want to be? Yes, you can be whatever you want to be. Does it mean, the young woman said hesitantly, that I can go wherever I want to go? Yes, it means you are free. And you can go wherever you want to go. Then the woman with tears in her eyes said, I think I'll follow you. As great as a moment must have been in that woman's life. A greater moment happened at the cross when Jesus died for our sins. And our response to him buying us back out of the slavery of sin should be, I will follow you. That's what freedom should produce. It should produce someone that follows Jesus Christ. Look what he says. Verse 15. What then shall we uh, we sin Because we're not under law, but under grace, by no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey. Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God, though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obey that form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have become, you have been set free from sin. 
and have become slaves to righteousness. I put this in human terms because you're weak in your natural selves, just as you used to offer your parts of your body in slavery to the uh, uh, to impurity and ever-increasing wickedness. By the way, that's how sin works. It's ever-increasing. You know, you just start a little bit, you just lie a little bit, you're just deceitful a small amount, and you just use a little bit of drugs, and it just increases, it gradually increases, sin increases in your life, whether it's greed or addiction, and, and later on, it, it binds you up like a belt being tightened around your chest. And it chokes the life out of you. So now offer them slavery to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at the time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness. And the result is eternal life, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a gift. So here's the struggle with freedom. I become a Christian. My sins are washed away. Remember justification out of chapter 5 by faith. You know, like Abraham kind of faith. Al talked about in Romans 4. So I, I become a Christian. I'm justified, instantly saved, clean, and made holy. But now in this walk of sanctification, which is a continual making of my life more holy, there's still going to be struggles. As I always tell everybody, baptism doesn't drown the devil, right? I mean, you're, you've had some old habits in your life that you are going to have a hard time getting rid of. Well, what's the difference? Am I going to instantly all of a sudden now become someone that walks perfect in life? No. Then how do I know that I'm free? You know it by the gospel, and your walk then in righteousness and obeying God to the best of your ability is not done to earn your salvation. You're walking and you're offering your body as an instrument uh, to righteousness as a result of freedom and being saved by the how much more verses in Romans 5. So grace increases in my life as I'm walking toward God. It's not about perfection. It's about direction. It's about our attitude. Now, look, the problem is we let Satan get the best of it. Now, some are enslaved in different ways. Some of you have, you have been enslaved with addiction. And boy, it chained you down and, and whipped you. Some have been enslaved by their careers. Some are enslaved by greed. Some are enslaved by lust. By immorality. A lot of ways that Satan and sin can enslave us. And so when we break away from that and find freedom, here's the problem. Here's the struggle. I still have that old human part of me that exists. And I still commit sin. The difference is, it doesn't master me anymore. Because of the Holy Spirit that lives within me, I now have a choice and a power to say no. I can choose to live holy. I'm not talking about perfection. We're not talking about that. But we're talking about it doesn't rule my life anymore. And God's grace increases way more 
than my faults. But Satan would love for you to think that every time you sin, you die again. See, if he can win the battle on that side, he's got you because you'll be a miserable Christian. If he can get you seeped in legalism, he knows then he can have some, have some victories in your life. He can keep you from accomplishing great things. Even though you've been freed, you don't practice freedom. You don't feel free, right? That's our struggle. When people become Christians, if we do not teach them about the grace of God increasing and growing in their life, that they've been set free, then all of a sudden, if we allow legalism to do it, it will become their master and they'll live like their slaves, even though they're free. So when freedom from slavery hit the South, Many of those plantation owners did not tell the uneducated slaves that were working for them. They didn't tell them they were free. And they worked as slaves while being free. And I thought, what a terrible thing. And then I looked at our church, churches around the world, and I thought, do we not do the same thing? Have we not enslaved people with legalism? And the defeatism of, of, of the lie of Satan in our hearts and minds. And look, freedom that's never practiced is no freedom at all. You've been set free. So instead of trusting your own righteous actions or your bad actions to be the deciding factor of your death or life, Trust the action of the cross to be the one that sets you free and you have life now. Even as a sinner, you experience freedom. Enjoy your freedom. Walk in freedom and submit your body to be an instrument of righteousness. And because once you do that, what true freedom is experienced, felt, and realized. And you'll know more than intellectually, you'll know it here. And that's the biggest space from here to here. Because I remember the first time I ever found out I could know I was saved. First John 5.13. I didn't feel saved. Even though I'd become a Christian. That was the struggle with freedom. No one taught me how to walk as a free man. With increasing grace. And everybody was scared to say it. Because they thought they were going to just open up the door for people to live however they want to. And Paul said, don't you know that's ridiculous? God forbid. Who is going to keep on sinning that to get more grace? That's never, that can never be a motive. That can never be right. Think about that. So Paul says, look, remember your baptism. You died that old way of life. You're living a new life. You're not a slave anymore to sin mastering over. You're a slave to God. And he uses one last illustration here in chapter 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin certainly... uh, I'm sorry, uh, verse 1. Do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to men who know the law, that the law has authority over man only as long as he lives? For example, by law a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. So then if she marries another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. 
But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress, even though she marries another man. So, my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, now, by dying to what once, what bound us, we have been released from the law so that we are in the new way of the Spirit and not the old way of the written code. So basically, it's like this. A woman's married to a man. If the, if the man dies, she can, remar- she can, she can be married. She's free from that marriage, right? She's no longer bound to him. Free. Now, I don't want some of you looking forward to the day you're free in your marriage. All right? But when, when our wife or husband dies, we're no longer bound. That covenant is gone. That vow is gone. And you're free from that. He says, this is an illustration. By the way, he's not teaching on marriage and divorce and all that kind of stuff. That's not what he's doing here. He's just using marriage as an illustration to say, you can't keep on living in habitual sin when you have died to that old law. You're free. Quit letting it bind you up and start living like a free man. Freedom is a struggle sometimes. Death is a pretty serious illustration. Slavery is even a heavier one for me. It's baptism. I fear sometimes that in our effort to preach grace and acceptance to anyone who names the name of Jesus. And look, the gospel says we don't make decisions about people who are in and out, right? The gospel does that. That's God's business, not mine. But in a, in a world now of where churches have basically blurred the lines of denominational things, which I think is a very good thing, it is a great time for us who have a history in the restoration movement, to call people back to the Bible. To say, hey, let's go back to the Bible. Let's see what it says about some things. And so now's the time to go back to Romans 6 and say, look, here's what he he uses people's baptism as a response as why they can't continue a, 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 a sinful lifestyle. And he calls them to remember that. Don't you remember? When you were baptized, this happened. Baptism was an immersion. It wasn't a sprinkling. It was an immersion of an adult person who made a decision about the gospel in their life that they wanted to live a new life and put the old life behind them. 
Uh, we were on vacation this last week, and we visited uh, Tennessee, Kentucky, and some beautiful places. But we went to the old uh, Cane Ridge House Meeting House. Cane Ridge Meeting House. Some of you it may not mean a thing to those of you who have studied restoration movement. It'll mean a lot to you. The Cane Ridge Meeting House was where a great revival took place by Barton W. Stone and Alexander Campbell and all these men who said we want to. We don't want to be a part of denominations anymore. We just want to go back to the Bible. And there were thousands and thousands that came to that little country church, and revival broke out, and and thousands were baptized into Christ, and a whole movement was started. And it was. It said, "Let's just go back to the Bible." And I love the fact that that's a part of my history. And I think it's good to challenge us to go back to the Bible on baptism. It's a good thing. I don't have to know everything that happens at baptism to be baptized right. I don't know how the Holy Spirit works. I don't know how God, I don't know the sovereignty of God, how all that plays into things. But baptism is a grace response and a submissive response of a man who's heard about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and says, I can't do anything about my life, God, except get on bending knee and I bow my life. I call on the name of the Lord in that water being baptized, reenacting the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And I'm raised to walk a new life. A new life. It's a great thing. It's freedom. It's the gateway to freedom. Only as it's attached to the message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Because outside the gospel, baptism means nothing. It's only because someone's faith is in Jesus. It's not in the water. I mean, I've told you this story before. My first baptism was a wreck. I said I said the wrong thing, trying to say the right thing. I didn't know there was a right or wrong thing, but I tried to say what I'd seen any preacher say. And I'd just been converted, and I'm on a campaign up in Omaha, Nebraska, uh, and uh, and so I studied with this guy, and he's all nervous, and he wants to be baptized. And Wednesday night after church, we all gather up at the front of the baptistry, you know. And there's a glass thing there, and we're all standing right there close, and and he's he's kind of a tall, skinny little redhead guy, and he's shaking. He's scared of water. I found out later, and so. Uh, I said what I thought you were supposed to say, and I went to baptize him, and he threw his hand out and grabbed the front of the glass. And the preacher's over here trying to get him off, you know. He's pulling the fingers off, and I'm holding him under, and he's bubbling. And, and I, I'm like, we're going to save him and send him to heaven all at the same time, if I'm not careful. So I pull him up, and I'm, of course, I've raised Church of Christ. All body parts got to go under at the same time. So I grab his arm, and we take him to the bottom, you know. I think I think it was poor old Hank Bingham that I baptized in, in this baptistry, and he kind of floated on me when we when I were too close to the side, and I heard this boop, hit his head down under the against the wall. Sorry, Hank, wherever you are. It's not about doing it right. You can't attach legalism to the act of submission and baptism. Well, we just get right back where we are if we're not careful. No, it's the gospel that frees us. The story of Jesus frees us. And Paul basically says, look, you can't just live a sinful, willful, sinful life 
and expect God's grace just to keep on happening. That can't be our attitude. But at the same time, we cannot live a sin-filled life in our mind that we think that every time I make a mistake, I lose my freedom. If you think so, you're in and out of freedom all the time. And he said, no, he died once that you be freed. You are free. It's time you start living as free men. Have the prayer of David to recapture the joy of salvation. Uh, we can practice the verse Paul writes later on, never be lacking of zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. That the joy of the Lord is our strength. It's time for to us to quit letting Satan rob us of the joy and freedom that we have through the gospel of Christ. It's time to put a stop to all that. You're not enslaved any longer. You are free. Free. Praise God for your freedom. Give Him glory. Use your body as instruments of righteousness. And when you sin, respond to God like you did when you were converted with humility and submission. And God's not setting up in heaven disappointed in you. He's not looking down from heaven saying, well, I guess He ain't going to make it. He's proud of you as you struggle to live for Him. And He says, look what my child came through. Wow. I'm proud of Him. If you were enemies, and Christ still died for you, how much more? Those are words of freedom. But if you don't understand grace, you'll never get freedom. And I'll tell you, freedom is a beautiful thing. And I'll tell you one thing I do look forward to. I do look forward to I do look forward to heaven. When the old nature we don't have, it's not in us anymore. I look forward to heaven where I don't have to struggle. With lust or deceit or greed or selfishness, you know, and I don't have to watch other people struggle with it either. Won't that be a great day in heaven? That battle's over. That's already over, free from it, victory, but it'll be a great day when we don't have that struggle in freedom anymore. And what a day that'll be. You never hear the word cancer, you never hear the word death again. You never hear the word addiction. Won't that be a great day? Who would want to miss out on that day? So the question really from me to you today is, if you've never obeyed the gospel, if you've never put your trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, then why not today? Why not today walk down this aisle and be baptized into Christ Trusting the blood of Jesus. And his ever-increasing grace will go with you from now on. Why not? And for those that have almost, you really enslaved yourself, even though you're free men, 
Why not declare today your day to start walking in the freedom that God gave you? What a great blessing. Everybody in this room lays your head on your pillow tonight and you know without a shadow of a doubt you are free and you are saved because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Because of the increasing grace to how much more passages from the love of God. I love you deeply. Uh, Thank you for putting up with this text and me today. I hope that we've said something in the power of the word that can seep into your heart. Go back and read through this. Think about it and ask what God's trying to tell you there, okay? Father, we love you. Father, we do not want to be used as instruments of wickedness. We want to be used as instruments of righteousness. So bless us in our obedience. Bless us in our obedience to know that we are not obeying to be saved, but we're obeying because of your great and increasing grace. And we, Father, have been bought. We've been set free. And we want to follow you because of the price you paid for us. We were so enslaved. Didn't even know it. Father, rescue us. Father, help us to mend broken hearts. Help us to be open to the broken with your word. Help us to be healed on the inside where there's been damage from sin in our own life. We ask, Father, that you help us to learn how to live as grace-filled, free people for you, where you get the glory and you get the honor and we get the joy of being your children. That includes being in a forever family that I'm so thankful for. Bless hearts, Father, in here that are heavy for whatever reason. Help them to know that you can bear their burdens and your grace is more than enough. In Jesus' sweet name, we pray with the help of the Spirit. And the church said, Amen. Amen. If you have a need, you can come while we stand and sing.